a stitch in time saves nine uh, communication strategies for surgeons. Now more than ever, healthcare professionals must communicate with patients in a manner that is effective, efficient, and easy to understand. Although good communication has always been essential to the relationship between the patient and the surgeon, the practice of virtual medicine uh, has highlighted the importance of patient-surgeon uh, interaction. Now more than ever, healthcare professionals must communicate with patients in a manner that is effective, efficient, and easy to understand. And it's my um, sincere pleasure to introduce our, uh, our keynote tonight, uh, Paul Zalzal, who's an associate clinical professor of surgery um, within uh, McMaster University, and he's an uh, uh, orthopedic surgeon working at Elkville Trafalgar uh, Memorial Hospital and uh, a friend as well. And uh, uh, just uh, thank you so much, Paul, for uh, coming tonight to, uh, to give us your insights. Thank you. And just before I go, Dr. Tom Zukowski is going to say a few words. Uh, Tom is one of our latest hires at our institution, and uh, he brings a lot of great innovation. Uh, and he has an excellent way of communicating with patients, one that I admire a lot. That's why I asked him to just join in uh, along with us. So he's going to say a few words, and then I'll jump into my talk. Okay, thanks, Paul. So I'm going to turn my video off here, guys, because good internet has not reached me uh, here in the burbs. Um, so thank you for that. I'm just going to share my presentation here. Okay, so I have the pleasure of doing the intro to A Stitch in Time Saves Nine, Communication Strategies for Surgeons. So we're all here today because we know that physician-patient communication is an integral part of clinical practice. We know that it produces a positive therapeutic effect, and that's been shown time and time again. So we're here because we want to effectively deliver healthcare with, of course, the goals of communicating with our patients to provide a best outcome and, of course, patient, patient satisfaction. So medicine is an art whose magic and creative ability have long been recognized as residing in the interpersonal aspects of patient-physician relationships. So this idea has been pervasive throughout time and it's taken on many forms. For example, in the 50s, in the 1950s to 1970s, because of really not great treatments for things like cancer, doctors took on a much more paternalistic or doctor-centered approach and they actually thought that it was inhumane or detrimental to patients to disclose bad news because there wasn't really great treatment options. So we've come a long way since then, and we've transferred more from the paternalistic approach to more of an individual approach to, uh, to communication. Uh, this has mostly been met, led by a health consumer movement uh, centered around shared decision-making and patient-centered communication. So this sounds great. Now we're listening to patients, we're making shared decisions, Sounds like we're on the right track. So the question is, how are we doing? So a recent study of orthopedic surgeons says that actually 75% of orthopedic surgeons surveyed believe that they communicated satisfactorily with their patients. Great news. We can probably stop the presentation now. I don't even think we have to hear from Dr. Zalzal. Only kidding. Because later on in that same survey, we find that only 21% of patients reported satisfactory communication with their doctors. So certainly a divide here. So we need to figure out 
what we're doing wrong and how we can bridge that gap between what we think we're doing and what is clearly not effective enough for our patients. And of course, there's lots of techniques and models that have been proposed over the years to try to bridge this gap. So the question is, which one is best? So for example, is it the four E's communication model from the Institute of Healthcare Communication of Engagement, Empathy, Education, and Enlistment? Is it the lead technique proposed by malpractice lawyers of listen, empower, advise, and define? Is it perhaps the spikes technique of breaking bad news that we all learned in our training of setting, perception, invitation, knowledge, empathy, and summary? Or is it the hilariously Canadian three Ps proposed by the CMA of politeness, parity, and patience? Or is it in fact the three E's of effectiveness, efficiency, and easy to understand? Can we use tools like anatomic models in the OR or even in the clinic? And in this COVID time, is telemedicine the answer? Clearly lots of options, lots of different models. And if you're as frustrated as I am with all of this, don't worry because Dr. Paul Zazal is here to share his excellent communication skills and hopefully give us an idea on how we can best communicate with our patients based on his excellent experience. So I will give it off to Paul. Tom, thank you uh, very much for that. Geez, I learned stuff from that. I wish I had time to go back and change some of my talk now, but I really want to thank Mo for asking me to do this uh, talk. I was looking for a memory stick to, you know, flash drive to load this talk on. I found an old memory stick uh, and on that memory stick was uh, the last time Mo asked me to do a talk. Uh, the file was dated 2014. That's six years ago. And I think the talk that Mo asked me to do prior to that was on floppy drive. So uh, if I can extrapolate, I think the next talk I'll be giving uh, that Mo asked me to do will be 2026, uh, probably via hologram. Um, anyways, I'm really uh, looking forward to this discussion that we're gonna have. And, and communication with patients is not something you can learn in a paper or, or in a book. It's, it's a discussing with our colleagues, which is what we're about to do. So this should be great. I mean, I do this a lot in the OR. I operate with a, another orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Zaptia, often, and our assistant is a primary care physician with a, a master's degree in quality improvement. And often in conversation in the OR turns to, okay, how do you say this to a patient? How do you express that? How do you explain this? And I really learn a lot from that. So I think we're gonna uh, learn a lot from this discussion. I have to say, in no way am I a communication uh, expert. I, I've never published a paper in communication. I didn't even take psychology in university. I studied engineering before medicine, uh, okay? My CV says I communicate in English and French. That's not true. I only talk English and not that good, right? That's why I became a surgeon, right? Like many of you. So I'm gonna try and share my screen here now. Uh, share screen. There it is. And I'm gonna go into our slideshow. Okay, so a stitch in time saves nine. Disclaimer again, I am not a communication expert, okay? My wife tells me this every day. 
However, we must do a better job communicating with our patients. As Tom showed, there's a discord between how we think we're doing and how patients think we're doing. And virtual medicine has really highlighted that importance. Here's me, like you, doing our virtual consults, um, button-up shirt up top, track pants on the bottom. And I know most of us are doing virtual medicine now. We really have to learn how to communicate with patients in this medium because it's pure communication. I do a lot of them through the phone. And believe me, the first thing I feel like asking is I feel like saying, hi, I'm Dr. Zal Zal, how much do you weigh? And that's not good communication, but I have to get that information. So that's what I'm looking forward to discussing. A few years ago, I hit this revelation, probably about four years ago. Okay, I'm not an expert at all in communication, but I'm gonna bring to you some experience that I've gained over the last four years, um, communicating with patients over 2.7 million times. Okay, I'm gonna explain that to you in a minute. But four years ago, I thought, hey, if there are no stupid questions, then why are my patients asking me so many stupid questions? I'll use an example, Mrs. Jones, I'm just making up that name. I'll tell her, hey, look, uh, you have severe osteoarthritis. Your radiographs show bone-on-bone -bone articulation in the medial compartment with osteophytes and sclerosis. That's your diagnosis. And then Mrs. Jones will say, oh, well, but can you tell me why my knee hurts so much? Should we get an MRI or an ultrasound? And I used to get enraged. The pen I was holding would break. I would clench my teeth. One might fall out, I clenched so hard. And then I realized, you know what? It's not you. It's me. I'd heard that saying so many times in high school and university, but finally I could use that phrase. It's not you, it's me. You've asked a stupid question, but it's my fault because I didn't communicate well. So I realized that I'm not getting across to patients. And if you look in the literature, patients retain very little information of what we provide. We all know this. They have deficits in retention. This was a study done by some anesthetists where they took a cohort of college students, gave them five minutes of medical information, and then tested their recall. And they found that free recall was 20%. So those college students could only recall 20% of what they had heard. With some aggressive prodding and poking and encouragement, and kind of giving them hints, they could bring that up to 60 or 80%, but it's still very low. And this, we've known this for a long time. This paper is almost 20 years old. It's a review paper that I often refer to. And it found that 40 to 80% of medical information provided by healthcare practitioners is forgotten immediately, okay? Almost half the information that they remembered isn't even correct. So they don't recall stuff. The other day I was shopping for a mattress. I was lying on the bed in sleep country. I looked on the ceiling and I learned this fun fact. 50% of dreams are forgotten five minutes after waking up, and after 10 minutes, 90% are forgotten. So if you compare the numbers, the encounter with an orthopedic surgeon is equivalent to a bad dream. Patients remember just a little more about what we say than they do about what they dreamt. So we can do better. Not only do they not remember, but what we tell patients and what they hear are not always equivalent, right? And we all know this from doing second opinions, right? I do a lot of second opinions and I know my colleagues do a lot of second opinions for patients that I've seen. 
one of the things I do when I'm doing a second opinion is I'll say, okay, well, what did Dr. So-and-so say? And then you hear things like, he said, it was all in my head. And often I know the physician that did the first opinion, and I know they wouldn't say that, but that's what the patient heard. She said, there was nothing wrong with my hip. Okay. He said, I was too young for joint replacement. He may be thinking that or trying to get that point across and giving the risks and benefits and whatnot, but that's all the patient took. He said, I was too fat to get a hip replacement. And again, I know that physician didn't say that, but that's what the patient heard. So not only are they not remembering, but they're not hearing what we're saying the way we want them to. She said, my total knee is perfect and should not hurt. He said he couldn't do my surgery because he's retiring soon. That's my favorite. So what, what I found and what you probably found too is second opinions are often the same opinion, but we're just saying them in a different way. We're communicating better than they got the first time. The second opinion might not have even been necessary if that communication was done well the first time. So our solution, I approached uh, Brad, my partner, office, not life. And I said, hey, you know, what if we made some videos, okay? Just a video that explains a topic. And basically the video is nothing too fancy, nothing too scientific. Just, it's kind of like the encounter we just did. We just say the same stuff. So that after the encounter with us, they can go home, watch the video again and again, and try and bump up that 20% recall. If English isn't their first language, Maybe they can show it to a family member or someone can translate for them, okay? Or an elderly person can show it to the child just so they have something to refer to once they leave the office. It'll cut down on phone calls. It'll hopefully increase patient satisfaction. So we started doing that. We started making these videos and then we found something very interesting. It grew. Our patients weren't the only ones wanting and watching these videos, okay? Other patients needed this information simply put to them. We found we quickly got over 2.7 million views. That's over 13 million minutes watched of our videos. We got over 23,000 subscribers and our videos were watched in over 90 countries, okay? With thousands and thousands of comments and emails. So what kind of things do the comments say? They say things like, hey, thank you for explaining that. This video made me feel something about my condition here. Can you make a video about this or that? My surgeon recommended a certain treatment. Is that the right option? Does my injury need surgery? These are the kind of the comments we kept getting back. And we took these comments, you know, should I be feeling this way, this line after surgery? And we made a video about those. If we found a lot of comments about a certain thing, we made a video about it. So we developed an approach for our videos. It evolved into an introduction, pathology, signs, symptoms we discussed. Then we discussed treatment options and not just what we would do. We'd say, hey, this is the treatment options. This is what I would do. If you go to another surgeon, they might say treat it this way. They may say operate on it. This guy might say don't operate on it. And there's no right answer. There's no right answer in the scientific literature, but these are the options. And then we give a summary. This is, what you, this is the condition. These are the signs and symptoms. These are the treatment options. And then we found this to be so successful that I took this and extrapolated it into my patient encounters. 
All right, so when I see a patient in the office, I try and use the same recipe. So we learned the three E's. Be effective. What's effective is a framework like an intro, pathology and findings, signs, symptoms, treatment options. And in the office, I provide a summary. Okay, here it is, the summary. Do you have any questions? And I use a lot of repetition, okay? You have to keep repeating stuff over and over and over. Here's an example. Do I need a knee scope? Here's a video. This is a common consult that we get as orthopedic surgeons. You know, I don't know, do I need my knee scope? We made a video about it. The late, and I just went to the last comment we got about this video. This guy here found the video today at about 3.02. I'm not sure why that's important. You described my problem. You explained it so much better than the doctor I saw on Monday. Thank you. We didn't do anything special. We just followed that recipe. Intro, signs, symptoms, treatment options, summary. Simple recipe that you can do in the office. So the second E we learned is you got to be efficient, okay? The average view time out of those 2.7 million views is about five minutes, okay? After five minutes, your patients are going to try and swipe away from you, okay? You've got five minutes to explain things. You're going to lose them after that, much like I've lost many of you now because I've gone over five minutes, okay? Five minutes. And that's a good thing because you've got a busy office. You've got a lot of patients to see. You don't want to spend more than five minutes. But if you spend those five minutes well, you can get your point across. Here's the graph. You can see four minutes, 58 seconds. That's the average over all the views that we've had. Okay, the third E. It's got to be easy to understand. We all know this, right? Yeah, it's obvious, but we all make this mistake. I make this mistake every week. I just talk above the patient because I'm in a rush. I'm trying to get the counter over with, get to the next patient. But you got to stop and remember, you have to make it easy for the patient to understand, okay? And you all know this. You avoid terms like avascular necrosis, osteochondritis desiccans, chondromalacia patella. If you're going to use that term, you got to explain it, right? We all make this mistake. Remember, don't make this mistake. Here's an example of this video we made. What is Little League Elbow? I love this comment. This is the latest comment we got on this video. Thank you so much, Docs. I'm 14 years old, okay? I've got an elbow that hurts. I'm a pitcher. This is reassuring. I thought something really bad had happened, but I can do this treatment. So we've been able to deliver medical information about a pretty complicated topic in such a way that a 14-year-old kid can understand it, all right? And that's kind of what you got to aim for in your office. Aim for the lowest common denominator. We use light humor in the videos, and I use it in the office, but you got to be super careful. If you're going to use humor in your encounter, you have to be careful. And I say that's the rule. Dad jokes, mom jokes. I don't mean make jokes about dads and moms. I mean, when you're out with your kids and you make a stupid joke and your kid laughs to make you feel better, so that's a dad joke. Those are the kind of jokes you can use in the office. You're not using golf course jokes. You're not using jokes you make in the OR when the patient's completely sedated. It's gotta be really light, light, almost not funny humor if you wanna do it and you wanna try and set your patient at ease. You have to be super careful with that. Give your patients homework, right? You wanna encourage online research, but you gotta be careful because there's a ton of stuff out there that's not good, okay? It's biased. It has secondary intentions. It's promoting something 
If you just send them out there and say, Google it, they're going to come back with the top 10 hits are going to be ads, right? And they're going to think they're learning something from that. Find a website that works. We encourage you to use ours. Ours is unbiased. We offer all the treatment options. It's not for profit. It's just to help patients. Use that one or find one you like, but give your patients homework so they can go back and watch over and over again. So in summary, you gotta be effective. That recipe works. Intro, signs and symptoms and pathology, treatment options, summary, any questions, and use a lot of repetition. It works in our videos, it works when I extrapolate to the office. You gotta be efficient, you got five minutes, that's it. It's gotta be easy to understand or you're gonna lose them. Here's one of our classics, it's a difficult topic. Am I too big for joint replacement? Difficult, touchy topic, here's our, our response. This person was thanks for the information, they're gonna try and do something about it, make their health better. Classic video here, how do you treat knee arthritis without surgery, again, by, I've, this person's watched a bunch of informational videos. By far, this is the most reliable, informed, and helpful information. Thank you so much. Again, just following that simple recipe. We got a ton of data here, big data. We don't know what to do with. I don't know how to research this data. It's not discrete variables. If anyone out there has the skills and the know-how and the desire to research this kind of data that we've collected, we encourage collaboration with you. 